And we're back. I am super excited to be joined today by uh, Grisa Martinez Rosas, who is always an inspiration to me whenever I get to see her or hear her speak. Grisa is the executive director at United We Dream, also known as UWD. Uh, UWD is a national nonpartisan membership-based organization of over 800,000 immigrant youth and allies, uh, which is led by the 126 affiliate organizations in 26 states. UWD advocates for the dignity and fair treatment of undocumented immigrant youth and their families. Uh, originally from Hildago, Mexico, Grisa came to the U.S. with her family at a young age as an undocumented immigrant. Uh, they sh she then went on to study political science and economics at Texas A&M University and has since been organizing immigrant youth, students, and workers for the passage of pro-immigrant policies at the local, state, and federal uh, level for the past decade, and I'm sure has plenty of stories to share from doing that work. Um, welcome, Grace, and thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Storytelling. Gracias, Martin. I'm so happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to see your lovely face and your beautiful smile. Um, you always light up a room. Mm, thank you. Thank you. As we uh, talk about this episode on storytelling, I know um, you have an amazing story and often share your story and was wondering if you would share a little bit of your story for our listeners and particularly about how you got into this line of work. Yeah, no, I, first I just want to say how um, proud and excited I am to be um, on this with you, uh, Martin. It's, it's an honor um, to be in any project that you're involved in, but also to tell the story of what we're doing at UWD and, um, and support you and your leadership. And, you know, I think storytelling, I'm so happy that you're covering this because I think storytelling is at the heart of every, every uh, strategy that actually wins. If you look at the fight for LGBTQ uh, marriage, when you look at the fight for ensuring that like black people are treated as people in this country, all of it at the heart of it has been storytelling and what this moment means. And so for me, um, my story begins when I come into this country with my mom and my dad. Uh, their names are Luis and Elia Martinez Rosas. Um, we came to the U.S. when I was um, very young. We crossed the Rio Grande waters um, from Hidalgo to Dallas, Texas, which is where we grew up. Um, and in Dallas, you know, I always knew that I was undocumented. I knew that um, there was something that I was, that was a secret that I couldn't tell a lot of people. And I knew that it was, I kept the secret not only to protect myself, but mostly to protect my family and my mom and my dad, who I saw every day get up at the crack of dawn. And my mom making my dad like a little cup of coffee in the morning with tortillas and frijoles and my dad like running the truck and then like it woke up the whole neighborhood because it was like one of those old rickety white trucks. Um, and he, um, at the same time that both of them led um, a congregation in Dallas, uh, they were both Southern Baptist preachers, um, they also had to make ends meet. And so my dad was um, a guy, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're like these like uh, wooden pallets that you see at Costco or like some of these places. And he would um, go out to the, uh, to the companies, like get them, uh, bring them home, fix them up and sell them, sell them right back to them. Um, and it was like, uh, I thought that it was like the ultimate immigrant hustle. Of I was like gonna say, that is a hustle. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we lived off of. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of sometimes like uh, shame that came from that work as growing up uh, poor in Dallas. Um, 
but a lot of lessons like i remember um every sunday we would go out before like uh the big industrial like trash would come on monday mornings we would go out and like do like a scouting so we would have like our trick like my dad like would like pull us all up into the truck and like my role was to be like the lookout so i would go into this big dumpsters and like look out at the top of it and see like oh is there any pallets here that we could take and then if there was i was like yeah yeah come over and my motivation was that at the end of that trip, I always used to get hot Cheetos and uh, an iced tea. That was like my my payment for being a good look. Staple <laughs> snack in a Latino yeah. household. <laughs> yes. Um, and so one of those days, it was a Sunday, and my we found something. My dad was backing up the truck. My mom, you know, was like, okay, okay, you're close. We're almost hit it. Um, and this Sunday was different because at the corner of our eye, we saw um, uh, someone that worked at the factory. So my dad had over the years, like met a lot of folks, like they like uh, were help, like helped them sometimes to call him and say like, hey, I, th I think that there's something here that you want to come see. But this time it was a new, a new uh, person. And then this person was a white man. And instead of like curiosity, there was accusation. And he, um, I remember um, just the way that he looked at our family um, with a lot of hate. Um, he started yelling at my dad, um, like, why are you, why are you stealing? He called him a wetback, uh, which is a derogatory term for um, Mexicans and undocumented people. He told him that he should be ashamed of having his daughters there with him. And in his eyes, I just saw, I, I, I never knew what it was, but I, I could feel his eyes on me and my mom and my dad. And, and I could feel like deep hate and anger. And I was so confused. We were, we just had the music on and I was, all that was on my mind was hot Cheetos, you know? Um, and in my dad's eyes and my mom's, I saw shame. Um, and in that moment, I just, that moment comes back to me so often because those same eyes are the eyes or that gaze are the, are the gaze that we see in people all across the country. Um, that gaze is uh, from that man is lethal. And we've seen it in the recent months where you see black um, and brown people being killed um, by police in the streets. And so for me, that moment of being undocumented, of being brown, of being poor, um, it, it's the thing that really energized me when I was a senior in high school and there was this big announcement that there were going to be um, they were going to uh, put my mom and my dad as being felons, like this law that passed in Washington, D.C. that would have said that they were felons. And I just couldn't stay still. I couldn't let another, like more people be able to tell my mom and my dad that they should be ashamed for something like just trying to survive. And so I and my friends organized like this big walkouts of like young people of our high schools. And like, I don't know where that came from because it wasn't really me. Like I was a girl that was just trying to like, let me put my head down. Let me like do what I got to do. Um, but I think that moment, that Sunday, I think is the thing that that pushed me to do it. That like I couldn't just stand back and do nothing.
And those walkouts led to then the mega marches of millions of people coming into the streets of uh, 2000, uh, 2006. And I, I've been hooked ever since, like young people setting the tone of what it means to be able to be really clear about what you want and demand. Young people like defying <laughs> you know, law and convention, even in your schools. And then the community backing you up and saying, yeah, that was the right thing. And then showing up and that led to the rise of this new wave of the immigrant justice movement. And that led me to, um, to doing this work here at United We Dream. I mean, what an amazing story. I mean, like in and of itself, which leads me to my next question, I think you just demonstrated. Why do you think storytelling is so powerful and such a powerful tool that advocacy organizations can utilize? You know, I, um, I was taught storytelling through um, the Marshall Gantz model that really is a model that comes from the farm workers um, in the movement that, that happened in California and the farm worker movement. And in that end, um, they always tell the story about how uh, Cesar Chavez was like building this big union and he was like, people were like, oh, we can't ask members to pay dues. Like they barely have enough food to eat. And his response was like, it has to be like this movement has to belong to the people and they have to be able to feel a connection and an ownership of it. And the union will show up for them. And so in that same way, I think the storytelling is like ensuring that people feel it in their bones. Like they know what the connections are. We speak about values when we tell stories and values are the things that connect us and like that ground in our work. Um, when we tell, when we paint pictures about the the things that are guarded in our souls and in our hearts, people are able to not only connect with that part of you, but connect with that part of themselves. And then being able to, you know, storytelling isn't enough. And that's what we've learned within the immigrant justice movement. You have to be able to marry that with a clear theory of what you're going to change and a clear call to action. Um, so that's where we get into like, um, from a the moth presentation to a revolution is the the clear strategy and the clear um, call to action. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you all have done it successfully. I think a number of groups and organizations are thinking through it, and I think you're right. It, it is. It takes these big numbers of a hundred thousand immigrant youth, or like during the pandemic when we're saying like millions of people that number is just so big for people to comprehend that these individual stories, like you just telling yours, right, humanizes us again, right? And it humanizes the issues and it allows us to be empathetic again as humans, to be like, oh, I feel for you as another human. Like I feel your pain, I feel your suffering and I wanna be there to like naturally as a human to support other people, right? Versus just throwing out these big numbers and figures and people can't really see that number in their head, right? They don't They don't see 100,000 people. They can't visualize that. But when you say, I'm one of many of these people who are who are dealing with this, I think it, it really helps bring us back to and ground us in our values, like you said, and humanize us. Are there ways that you can give us that you all at, at UWD have, have used storytelling effectively um, in engaging your advocates and supporters to, to push them to that call to action, as you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of, um, you know, one of the organizing rules um, that they drill into your head is that organizing is about self-interest. 
Um, it's about like, what does the other person that's listening to you um, or you're calling into your work, like what, do, what, how is it that their lives are also transformed? And so I, I will say that like United We Dream has actually now grown to a group of 800,000 people. Um, we have a reach of 5 million people every month um, and have been able to, in the last couple of months, talk to 22.5 million Latinx communities across the country to tell them about like what's like to ask them what's happening with COVID in their lives, to tell them to go out and fill out the census and to tell them about like the things that are coming up for our communities in the next couple of months. And so the way that we do that work is around um, three things, I'll say. The first is like being able to uh, be very clear about the challenge. Um, what is like the, what is the thing that we're facing? And it's not like, uh, let me tell you about a new problem that you want to have. It's like, but putting the, the, the moment that we're in into context. So what's the challenge? The second one is the choice. So what is it that if we make this choice together, are we like, um, what is it that you're telling me to do? Like, what is the call to action that you want to do? Like, what is, and then the third piece is the hopeful outcome. Like, if we do this, then this will happen. Um, and so one of the examples is actually on DACA, uh, the Supreme, at the Supreme Court. Uh, we, um, we have been, uh, like the Trump administration has been leveraging attacks against undocumented young people since day one in his campaign. And he promised his base that he was going to kill the DACA program day, like first 100 days. Uh, we are still now, like, Four, almost four years into his election and DACA is still in place. Obviously it's changed and like he has attacked it and like basically killed it as it exists, but we preserved part of it because of our story. We told the stories of uh, young undocumented people that were uh, were part of essential workers that are the ones that are ensuring that we make it through this COVID um, nightmare that we all find ourselves into. We told, and then um, when we did that, we told the stories of someone like Aldo, who is a young, uh, a DACA recipient. He's a paramedic in Florida. And he was able to say that it's not only, his ability to be a paramedic was not only because of him, it was because of his mom, like his dad, like the people around him that have supported to do that. And, uh, and then be able to say how he sees his own role in this moment about like serving the community and how he wants and, and actually is joining us in a demanding of protection for more and more people, including his mom and his dad. And he was able to take his story to the uh, Democratic National Convention that just happened um, a couple of weeks ago. And I think that it's about like ensuring that people understand how their self-interest of, of, of being able to, to survive this pandemic is actually served by people's actions and like the giving dignity and protection to these people um, and then giving them a clear out here, which, you know, the, the one that Aldo was raising for folks is like, you need to vote in November because my life, the life of my family and also the life of these community members, which I serve as a paramedic are at stake. Yeah. I mean, it makes my heart sing when you say, right, like choice, the challenge choice. What is the opportunity, right? What is the outcome? Uh, that's obviously as trainers, right? But that's how we train yeah. in storytelling of, of structure that you had mentioned earlier. But how do you, um, similar to Olago, how do you identify those advocates or supporters who have good stories? And how do you how do you help train or what techniques do you have to sort of pull those stories out of folks to know that like, this is going to be a really powerful story to be shared? I'll say that um, 
that actually we had uh, um, we had people from Ireland and, and all over Europe come to the U.S. And, and get trained by United We Dream on storytelling. And the thing that we always hear from people are like, oh, well, you know, your story is cool, but like, you know, it's heartbreaking and powerful, but I don't have a story like that. My life has been okay. And I think that that's, or sometimes people feel like I don't have a story to tell. Like my life has been pretty, you know, whatever. And I, 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 that's not true. Like everybody has moments of choice in our lives that we have made um, to be able to, to call us into why it is that we're making the ask, why it is that we're part of this organization or this campaign or this like effort. And so being able to like do some of that thinking for yourself, I think it's important figuring out like what is like the, what are the values that are in action as you're making this choice? Like whether, you know, you signed up for this listserv because I don't know, like you, your girlfriend was undocumented and therefore, you know, you decided to jump in. Like those are the, those are things that are universal, like wanting to care for our loved one is a universal value that I think is important. So we, really ground people on knowing that your story is valuable, your story is worthy of being heard. Um, the second thing is that it is important to be able to think about what your goal is whenever you're telling storytelling and whenever you're doing storytelling and in including that in your campaign. If your goal is to, because your goal actually depends, your goal dictates who the right messenger is and what the right story is, um, depending on the audience and the and the uh, the target that you're trying to hit. And so, you know, that that actually varies depending on which of the pieces that you really want to be able to tackle. But for the immigrant justice movement and 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 undocumented young people. Our goal is to ensure that we change um, the way that this country sees immigrants, that we humanize them, that we build independent political power for our people, that we win policy change um, that is able to have material change in people's lives. And when we do that, then we then the message is pretty easy. Like it's like the people most directly impacted to tell the story, the people that support us. So like the we train a lot of teachers to tell their stories about why it is that they support undocumented young people. We do some of the storytelling with like um, uh, with elected officials across the country. So as people are thinking about including storytelling into their work, be very clear. What's the goal? Who is like the best um, speaker or the best uh, messenger for this? And then ensuring that people know that everybody has a story. So it's not about the sob stories, actually. Like the, it's not, it's a, if it's a sob story, then like make sure that it's for strategic purposes, not just making people feel bad for you because the people will just stay there. It's just like, we've all been there, right? Like we, we've seen like the commercial they're like, oh, that's so sad. And then like, you just go on about your day. Uh, you need to be able to have like, what is like, why is it important for them to move through it? Like take action with you and why will their lives also be better if they take action with you? Yeah, I mean, emotion is so, uh, I would love to think that all humans think and make choices rationally, right? But <laughs> but humans are, are not always the most rational, but we are super emotional. And so when you can take folks through those emotions, right, even if you write, there is, there is that sad story where you get folks to feel empathy, you then have to bring them back into like inspiration or aspirational, right, to, to make them then feel like they have the power to make that change. So yeah, completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. And you 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 talked a little bit about this and wanted to get a little bit deeper, but for the listeners who are thinking of incorporating storytelling into their work, you mentioned some places to start um, 
what does your all's internal process look like for story collection? Uh, how do you capture them? How do you organize them? How do you track them? Well, you know, we are, um, we take storytelling very seriously at UWD. Uh, so there's like a whole like curriculum on how we uh, train each other. Um, um, and from all, like all across our organizations um, in storytelling, I think that, that we're able to, I feel like we have like, I, I don't want to brag, but I feel like Please my do. team is the best. <laughs> my team is the best in the game on the digital uh, storytelling piece, and so um, with the leadership of like young undocumented queer people, um, we've been able to develop the digital infrastructure for people to be able to both tell their own stories using our social media platforms, um, as well as like sharing stories out. Um, so it, it can't just be like a, I mean, it depends on what your goal is, but for us, it's not just being a magazine and like a YouTube, a YouTube channel. It's about, um, also, you know, giving people opportunities to share their own stories because we believe that in storytelling, you go from there's transformation. You go from a place like someone like myself that was like deeply um, uh, disconnected from my queer identity into someone that because I heard so many stories that I was like able to like really deeply and fully embrace my my own identity as a queer woman. And that happens because there's like loops where people can also sh not only listen to your story, but also share their own story. There's obviously like this whole, a, a whole data thing that we've had to build out and we're actually still building out. It's really hard to be able to track those things, I will say. Um, and also uh, making sure that there's that we are creating our own channels of, um, of communication and how we want to tell our own stories um, and using that in every opportunity possible. I'll share one example that we, um, we were just in the Supreme Court case on DACA and um, we submitted the first ever video uh, Supreme Court, um, what's it called? Like amicus brief. So like there's like in the history of the Supreme Court now, the first stories that are being submitted by video are by undocumented people. And they're like vignettes of stories of undocumented folks. And so I think that that's some of the ways in which we track, we bring stories into the fold and also we project them out um, to, into, the, into the world. And make history. Hello. I mean, and that's amazing. Yeah, we, won. <laughs> we won at the Supreme Court in a lot of part because we told the story of what was happening to us. As you think about like the culture that you have created internally, right? I would imagine everybody in the organization always has storytelling in their mind as they're talking to new folks, talking to volunteers, talking to supporters, sort of just out in the world. Have there been any challenges or lessons learned that you could offer to our listeners about things they may encounter, the lessons you've learned? pieces that would help them start the process? Yes, three. Um, the first is... Um, Love it. So organized. I got them. Three. <laughs> three. The first is be very clear about what you are trying to achieve with your storytelling program or project. Um, sometimes stories uh, also open up um, very traumatic moments for people. And so you have to be able to be very clear about setting the container and also ensuring that there is support for people as they navigate through these stories so that you don't open inadvertently open up um, really deeply emotional pieces that you're not then able to close, which is I think particularly working with young 
queer poor people of color like that's something that we've that we needed to not not just anyone can open up a, a storytelling piece unless you have like clear confines of it the second thing is um that it is about like the people most directly impacted telling their own stories and that is defined like in various ways depending on what area of work you're leading but you see this when we're we're talking about uh, the March for Our Lives movement, where it's like people, young people that were directly impacted by like gun violence in their schools. You see this within our movement. Um, the movement for Black Lives is like young Black people like telling the stories of how police. So that has to be at the core of what you're doing. And the third piece I'll say is that uh, I call it like leave room for the spirit. Sometimes I think we like, um, and this is like also my Southern Baptist thing coming out, which is <laughs> the whole different story, a whole different podcast. But sometimes we set up with this idea of what we want, like our storytelling campaign to be like, and people are just, I think that people are just magical and so interesting and things just come out like from the storytelling pieces that can reshape the way that you were thinking about your campaign from even to begin with. And so if you be very clear with the people that you're um, engaging with this about like what kind of input you want from your campaign, but also leave enough space in your planning for the spirit, like the human spirit um, to be able to move through it. Those are the three things I would say. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, you touched on one thing that I want to sort of wrap up with um, that I think is also really important is about the care for storytellers, right? Like mm -hmm. you were bringing these folks in and you were asking them to do something very brave and very vulnerable, right? And and you were taking them to a place that maybe they do feel shame and maybe they haven't processed fully. Can you talk about how you all sort of hold your folks um, and ensure that you're also taking care of the folks while they're giving you as an organization this really powerful thing um, of their story? Yes, I'll say um, one is that we when you are requesting vulnerability from others, you must first um, be able to be vulnerable. And so everyone that like leads a, a storytelling piece starts off with their own story and why they showed up in that day, why they showed up to the story training piece. So that is gonna be important. If you don't feel like you have the right staff, if you don't feel like you have the right people to be able to like um, reflect back the vulnerability that you are expecting from others, you know, I would just, caution. Um, the second thing is, I think that whether you have it in-house or outside, partnering with mental health providers is really important. Um, we work with uh, a couple of partners, the National Latinx a Psychological Association, Soul Sisters. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there for you to be able to like, you know, anchor your work with, with mental health in mind. Um, so I'll say that, that those are two things that sh folks should think about when, as you're caring not only for like the people that are the storytellers, but also your own team as they like also process a lot of these things that will be unearthed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, yet again, you have got me all warm and fuzzy and feeling inspired and ready to take action. <laughs> You've been amazing. Thank, on, you. Thank, Thank you so you much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Of course. So uh, we'll be right back. But if you want to learn more about what Grace and her team is doing over at United Wheel Dream, we will add a link in the um, show description as well as um, hopefully some other resources to help you out with your storytelling process. Um, uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> 